0: All right. Yes. Good morning, everyone. I I feel a little bit like the second-string quarterback who's been called off the sidelines. So I got a call last night from Jay, and he asked me if I heard about Pastor Matt. And I was no, I hadn't. And so he said, "Well, would you be able to speak?" And I said, "Sure, I can do that." So I got out my files of old sermons, and I dusted one off and. Uh, I did this one back in 2000, so it's it's dusty, um, but its message is timeless because it comes from God's word, and so um, let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the chance to worship you this morning, Lord, how wonderful that is. To be able to stand in your presence and sing songs of your faithfulness, your love to us. Lord, we lift up Pastor Matt to you now. We pray that you would bring healing to his body, that he would pass the kidney stones with minimal pain. Uh, Give him a, a good morning of rest. Speak to his heart as he is at home. Speak to our hearts this morning as well, Lord. And thank you for your word and its timeless message to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, um, or grab one from the chair in front of you, we're going to be in Revelation this morning. Revelation chapter 3. I thought I'd pick something easy. Revelations chapter 3. I've gotten to that point where I I need cheaters to read the small print in my Bible. My kids say I'm getting old. Revelations chapter 3, starting in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not, de- have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet, and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world, to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon, hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Philadelphia was a small city uh, compared to Ephesus or or Corinth. It was smaller in prosperity, smaller in productivity, uh, smaller in prestige, but despite its smallness It was strategically positioned to have a major impact. And in real estate, there are three important things you want. Location, location, location. And Philadelphia had all three of those. Because of its location, all the information, all the messengers that traveled from one place to another had to go through Philadelphia. ancient travelers would pass through Philadelphia on their way to other destinations and so it became known as the gateway to the east it was located about 25 miles southeast of Sardis and it was on the intersection of some major highways and it was built on a hill so it was easy to defend but it was also built on a fault line which made it vulnerable to earthquakes and in AD 17 uh, Philadelphia was shaken by a devastating earthquake. And the Apostle Paul writes in Revelation that he was on the island of Patmos, and when he received this revelation, these letters to the churches, and so he writes down what God told him to write to each individual church. Well, let's take a look at who wrote our, this letter to Philadelphia. He writes to the angel of the church in verse 7. Now, angel can be is the generic term for messenger. We might say he's the pastor. So this little letter comes to the pastor of a small church to encourage him and his flock. Jesus is the writer of that letter. And he wants this church to know him as holy, true, and sovereign. First, Jesus reveals himself as he who is holy. There in verse 7, to the, these are the words of him who is holy and true. To be holy is to be separate, to be set apart. His holiness, in, in his holiness, um, he's set apart from creation. He's above creation. He's majestic. He's transcendent. He's exalted. And second, he's set apart from all sin. He is perfectly pure, undefiled in all his ways. Everything about Jesus is holy. Second, Jesus is true. This description emphasizes not only that he tells the truth, but that he is the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not describing only his actions, but he's describing his character. Nothing false can be found in Jesus. Third, Jesus is sovereign. He claims to be the one who has the key of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. This is, comes from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. And King, Isaiah had a, King Hezekiah had a, a servant or a, a, a royal treasurer named Eliakim. Eliakim. And he had the key. Only Eliakim had the keys to the royal treasuries. And he was the only one who could open up the vaults to all the treasures that Israel had. Jesus is the one who has the keys to the heavens, to heaven's treasures. And he alone has access. And he alone gives those to whomever he chooses. He's sovereign. Why would Jesus choose to reveal himself to this church in this way? It's because they had little strength, few resources. They were small. But they understood that The strength of a church is not determined by the size of its congregation, but by the size of its God. And Philadelphia had a big God. It's far better to be a little church with a big God than a big big church with a small God. Success depends upon trusting the one who can open the doors of ministry. Little churches can do can accomplish great things when they serve a holy, true, and sovereign God. People too, who make people who think that they are they themselves are small and insignificant, have nothing to offer, they can be used in big ways by a big God who opens big doors. See there in verse. In verse 8, See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Wow. That's a blank check, huh? God opened a door for this little church and nobody can shut that door. He knows their deeds. Philadelphia is the only church that, God has nothing, that Jesus has nothing bad to say about. He knows us better than ourselves. we know ourselves. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 says that he's walking around our lampstand. In other words, he's present. He's taking note of our deeds. He attends every meeting. He knows every heart. Nothing can be hidden. He had placed before Philadelphia an open door. The possibilities for this little church were endless. They just needed to be faithful and walk through that door. When a church is faithful to God, God opens up doors for ministry. Faithfulness is the key that unlocks the door to an unlimited tomorrow. And at the heart of faithfulness is faith. Faith in a sovereign God a big God Jesus says a few things to this church to encourage them first Jesus says that they have little strength and you might sound, that might sound like a, not a encouraging thing for this little church it's just a statement of fact he says I know you're small compared to the other churches that Jesus wrote to in revelations they were the smallest they had very few resources very little clout This wasn't a megachurch. It didn't have a well-known pastor who had written many books. There weren't any successful businessmen who would underwrite their budget. They lived from hand to mouth, so to speak. God's hand to their mouths. But through their weakness, they learned faithfulness. Second, Jesus commends them because they are, as he says, they have kept his word, in verse 8. They were zealous for God's word. They preached it, they taught it, they believed it, they obeyed it, they lived it, they shared it. All that they did was according to God's word. Here at Elam, we know the importance of God's word. And we stand upon that. Third, they have not denied his name. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They were 100% sold out to Jesus. And they boldly spoke about Christ to anyone and to everyone, even in the face of opposition. And they faced opposition. Whenever God's people start to move forward, there will be opposition from the evil one. The devil does not want the gospel to be shared, and so he's going to do whatever he can to stop it. And this is what happened to the church in Philadelphia. The church in Philadelphia existed during a time in history when there was severe persecution of the early church. Uh, The Roman emperors Nero and Domitian uh, made life for Christians in the first century very horrible. But this church suffered under a certain group. And verse 9 tells us about that group. It says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come down and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. In Philadelphia, there was a group of Jews who claimed to be the true sons of Abraham but they weren't. Uh, They professed faith in God, uh, but they were liars. They claimed to have Abraham as their father, but in reality, Satan was their father. Jesus calls them the synagogue of Satan. These Jews were persecuting the church. They were spreading lies and causing problems. Jesus knows exactly what this church is going through. He went through it with the Pharisees. They plotted to kill him. They tried to discredit him, telling him him that he was demon-possessed. They were trying to trap him. Always trying to trap him. Jesus knows the trials that we face. Isn't, Isn't it comforting to know that our God knows what we're going through? And Jesus promises this church that he will keep them from the hour of trial. No other church was promised that. In fact, the church in Smyrna was told that they will experience more trials. At the close of this letter, Jesus makes some incredible promises. In verse 12, he says that the one who overcomes will be a pillar in the temple. And in ancient times, great people who accomplished great things would have a pillar set up in their honor, and their name would be inscribed on it and a record of their accomplishments so that the coming generations would know and remember them. Jesus says, I'm not just going to set up a pillar in your honor in the temple. He says, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple. Now, that doesn't mean they'll be standing in the temple holding up the roof Rather, it's a reference to their eternal security. Their future was secure. Our future is secure when we we place our trust in Christ. He also promises to the ones that overcome that they'll get three new names. First, Jesus will write the name of God upon them. To receive God's name is equivalent to belonging to God. A relationship is established that can never be broken. The name is permanently inscribed. Second, Jesus says he'll write the name of the city of God on them. Overcomers will receive the rights of citizenship. Citizens of heaven. Heavenly citizenship will mean the removal of all pain and all sorrow An access to the water of life and the tree of life. It means reign with Christ for all eternity. And finally, Jesus says he'll write his name on them. And this emphasizes a new relationship that we enter into. It also symbolizes our exposure to Christ's full glory. We will see him in all of his majesty. Jesus closes this letter with a familiar ending. He who has an ear. We're reminded to pay close attention to Christ's words. Jesus is the speaker, and the Spirit is calling out to every church and to every believer. To hear and do nothing is the same as not hearing. Our faithfulness in small matters will open doors of greater opportunity. If we are faithful with a little bit, Jesus will entrust to us great things. No church is limited by its size. We're only limited by the size of our God. Faith in a great God opens great doors. So, how big is your God? Do you have faith in a big God? I have faith in a big God. We just finished uh, our capital campaign and uh, for, that new, for the new building. I want to say thank you to all of you who gave. It's an incredible that we raised the amount of money that we raised. But it's not over. It hasn't ended. If you didn't have a chance to give or you're still thinking about it, I want to encourage you to do so step out in faith and watch God open up some big doors. Satan doesn't want us to build the church over there. We've experienced some trials here at the church. There's going to be more. But our God can handle it. He's a big God. And if we place our faith and our trust in him, We can handle it. It can happen. My God is big enough to make it happen. How big is your God? There's a children's song that many of us sang while we were young, maybe in vacation Bible school. It says, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. You remember that? Why don't we sing that? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for being a big God, Lord. Thank you for opening up a door for us here at Elam to extend our ministry to a new place. Give us the faith to walk through that door, Lord, to trust you. Lord, we know that there will be trials. You said that in your your word. But you also say, take heart, because you've overcome those things. Help us to be overcomers, Lord, so that you can write those names on our hearts and our lives. Thank you for all you do for us, Lord. And it's in your precious holy name I pray. Amen.